Hi, Barry Lee with 92.5 Wink FM. Excited to be right here at Rouse City Hall to host the second season of the City of Winchester's podcast, The Rouse Review. The way this works, twice each month on the second and fourth Thursday, we explore city services, programs, and events and discuss the information that you need to know. So, up first is the Council Bluff. That's a bottom line, upfront recap of the February 11th, 2020 Council meetings. During the regular meeting, Council adopted a resolution officially naming the new neighborhood park located on the corner of South Kent and East Cecil Streets as Ruth Jackson Memorial Park in honor of Ruth Jackson, owner of Ruth's Tea Room, which was formerly located on the site. Council approved a resolution proposed by Winchester Public Schools that requested an additional $1.5 million in funding from the city for the construction of the Innovation Center at the former John Kerr Elementary School, which will be addressed as part of the FY21 budget process. City Council also held first readings for applications for real estate tax exemption for properties owned by the Retired Clergy Housing Corporation of Virginia Conference of the United Methodist Church, the Shenandoah Valley Community Residences, the Winchester Little Theater, and Age Response Effort. At the January 28, 2020 meeting, Council forwarded all four items to the February 11th meeting with a motion to deny due to their desire to stay consistent with prior decisions. Since these were first readings, no action was required, but Council decided to table the four items as requested by the nonprofit representatives so that further discussion into possible alternative taxing arrangements could take place before a final decision is made. At the work session, City Council received more information about short-term rental regulatory options and the practices of other localities from the City Zoning Administrator to better understand the issue. Council discussed an ordinance regarding the composition and transition process of the school board from a nine-member body to a seven-member body if a charter amendment is approved by the General Assembly, and from one which is appointed by Council to one which is elected by registered voters. The city attorney provided options for composition and the selection process if the city charter amendment is approved by the Virginia General Assembly and if it is not. Council forwarded option one to the February 25, 2020 regular meeting for first reading for adoption if the General Assembly approves the charter amendment. Under option one, the two current at-large seats that are set to expire on June 30, 2020 will be eliminated. The term for the remaining at-large seat set to expire in 2020 shall be extended to December 31, 2020 and shall be on the board. Therefore, the 2020 election shall consist of four members for the school board, including the vacant seat for Ward 2, two other ward seats to be randomly selected by the city electoral board, and the remaining 2020 at-large seat. Council received an overview of its options for handling complaints regarding actions or conduct by either the city manager or the city attorney, which are positions that are not covered by the city's comprehensive employee management system. There's no established process to address and handle such complaints. Likewise, there's no process or procedure for addressing complaints regarding the conduct or actions of a member of council. After discussion of options as presented by the city attorney, Council directed the city attorney to research what other localities do and report back to council at a future meeting for further discussion. Council also discussed potential code changes to rectify inconsistencies with the city charter structure. 
The charter states that the city shall be governed by a city manager who is responsible for administration of the city's affairs, including management, appointment, and supervision of all city employees. Essentially, the council establishes the policies and overall goals of the city, and the city manager is responsible for the daily operations and implementing those policies and goals. Section 5C of the charter gives council the right to appoint or remove department heads at its pleasure, but council has only opted to exercise this right with the police chief position, as stated in city code. Also in city code, the police chief is allowed to appeal his or her termination by the city manager to council. These two operations are inconsistent with charter structure of the council city manager form of government and not required by the Code of Virginia. Other similar localities' governing bodies are not involved in the hiring or firing process for their chief of police or any of the other department heads, as that is the duty of the city manager. After a lengthy discussion, council asked for this item to return to a future meeting to continue the discussion. For more information on these topics and to view the agenda packet, visit the City of Winchester website and click Council Meeting Agendas under the Government tab. Well, obviously, February the 14th is Valentine's Day, and February is American Heart Month. So to give us some information that you're sure to love, Lieutenant Drew DeHaven with Winchester Fire and Rescue is with us, and uh, welcome to the show, Drew. Oh, welcome, Barry. It's nice to be here. So let's talk about American Heart Month. What's it all about? So uh, American Heart Month, it's a promotion by the American Heart Association to uh, raise awareness about heart health and urge people to take the necessary steps to prevent heart disease. And so how does that relate to the Winchester Fire and Rescue Department of Personnel? What's that mean? Ah, so great question. Uh, so it's our job as emergency medical services providers to respond to calls concerning victims of a heart attack, a stroke, or maybe even cardiac arrest, and then transport them to the hospital for continued care. Uh, so a heart attack and a stroke uh, can be caused by a number of reasons. Uh, more commonly, they result of a blockage of a blood vessel, cutting off uh, blood supply to those of vital organs. Uh, the risk factors for these deadly diseases highlight the importance of Heart Health Month, uh, which is prevention. Common uh, diseases such as high blood pressure, uh, high cholesterol, diabetes, uh, they all increase your chance of having a stroke or heart attack. Cardiac arrest occurs when the heart stops beating. Uh, again, this can be caused by a number of reasons, but having a heart attack significantly increases your chance of going into cardiac arrest. You know, Winchester Fire and Rescue, you've been recognized lately for your cardiac arrest response and care. Tell us more about that. Absolutely. The Winchester Fire and Rescue Department has been recognized by the American Heart Association's Mission Lifeline Program, and this program recognizes departments that provide excellent care in patients having a heart attack. This includes recognizing signs and symptoms, acquiring ECG quickly, notifying the hospital, and properly treating a patient having a heart attack. The best way to sum up the importance of speed in this situation, Barry, is that time is muscle. The more heart muscle that is damaged or dies during a heart attack leads to decreased heart function after the event. Uh, Winchester Fire and Rescue Department has been recognized every year since 2015 uh, with, in 2019, achieving the Gold Plus Award. Excellent. So, Drew, if you would, uh, typically what happens when you arrive at the scene of a possible heart attack? Sure. So when someone calls 911 and presents that they may be having a heart attack, uh, first, uh, the first thing we do is bring all the equipment in that we might need to the patient's side. Uh, may that be in the middle of the Apple Blossom Mall, uh, deep inside Rubbermaid, or inside someone's bedroom. Uh, we bring in a large bag with life-saving equipment, including oxygen, a box with medications in it, IV supplies. Uh, we bring in a monitor and defibrillator and a stretcher or chair to get the patient outside to the ambulance. So as you can imagine, that's a lot of stuff that we have to bring inside a lot of stuff, for yeah. someone. Uh, once the provider starts asking questions to the patient, another provider will begin assessing the patient's vital signs and quickly getting that ECG. That ECG is very important because we get to actually look at the heart rhythm. 
Uh, another provider may start asking questions to the family, uh, preparing medications to be administered, or even figuring out the way that we're going to get out back to the ambulance so we can transform to the hospital. Uh, if the patient does exhibit signs of a heart attack, uh, we'll quick quickly alert the hospital, uh, notify the ER, the cath lab, and the doctors that are coming to help them. Uh, wow. these, these actions allow for timely care of the patient because, again, time is muscle. Wow. So total team effort, total team effort. Let's talk about the importance of CPR and, uh, you know, how that relates to cardiac arrest or any other heart-related issue. So, yeah, CPR, it's uh, the most important action that can be provided to someone suffering from cardiac arrest. Uh, it's important to realize that for us as Fire and Rescue Department to continue to provide excellent care for someone suffering cardiac arrest, we need help from the public. Uh, first and most importantly, early recognition that someone may be suffering a heart attack or stroke uh, or cardiac arrest and summoning a 911. Uh, depending on the situation, the, divider, the dispatcher will provide instructions over the phone to begin providing treatment. If someone is suffering a cardiac arrest, the dispatcher will actually provide instructions on how to perform the chest compressions on the phone. The best chance for survival for that person in a cardiac arrest is chest compressions to be started as early as possible. Again, like I said earlier, time is muscle. In all the studies that were completed looking at how communities can increase the chances of survival from cardiac arrest, early recognition and early chest compressions were the leading actions. Okay, so uh, big, big push for folks to learn hands-on only CPR. So is that just as effective as the traditional CPR where we see, you know, blowing into somebody's mouth? So yes, hands-only CPR is just as effective as traditional CPR. Uh, most people know traditional CPR to be providing uh, compressions and breaths to the person. Uh, most are very hesitant to provide the mouth-to-mouth -mouth breaths, which we found to decrease the chances of CPR being performed at all. Uh, wow. The, the hands-only CPR is when someone would simply provide chest compressions until a trained rescuer arrives. As we talked about earlier, most people go into cardiac arrest because of a problem with their heart. Those people actually need chest compressions more than they need breaths when the event occurs. So, big question. How can people learn to do hands-only CPR? Great question. So here in Winchester, we have many great ways to learn CPR in the month of February. And we have several hands-only CPR events in the community. These events are advertised on our website and as well as social media sites. The best, uh, the best thing about these events is that it only takes a few minutes to learn how to do CPR and then you're back onto your busy day. You can actually learn how to do CPR the next time that you're in an airport as well. And several airports, there are small kiosks areas uh, that teach you how to provide hands-only CPR, allow you to practice on a mannequin, and provide feedback on how well you did. Uh, earlier this month, Chief Garrett released a video on our social media pages highlighting the importance of hands-only CPR and providing a step-by-step -step instructions on how to do the hands-only CPR. A few key components of hands-only CPR is one, recognizing that something is wrong and calling 911, uh, placing your phone on speakerphone so the dispatcher can provide you instructions over the phone. Then you're gonna put both hands together in the center of their chest and push hard and fast. Uh, we wanna push about two inches deep and about a rate of 100 beats per minute. Uh, but if you don't wanna to count to 100 beats per minute, Barry, you can just open up your favorite music player and play songs like uh, Staying Alive or I Will Survive. And th those songs are about 100 beats per minute. And, you know, it's important, too, Drew, that uh, even if you're uncertain whether the person's having a heart attack or not, uh, it's always good to side on the side of safety and make that call. Absolutely. The earlier that someone can call 911, the better. Again, time is muscle. Um, and, and I guess also not to be worried that you're pressing maybe too hard, right? right? Right. So doing something, again, calling for the help, getting help on the way, and starting that hands-only CPR if they are truly in cardiac arrest, that is the most important thing. All right. And, uh, you know, this is good stuff to know, and uh, I'm inspired to learn some hands-only CPR this month, and uh, you never know when you might need it. Uh, before you go, Drew, anything else you'd like to add? So great. So I brought the mannequin with me, Barry, so we'll, we can, we can <laughs> knock ready. that out right All now. Right. But, uh, so we would encourage everyone to learn hands-only CPR this month as well. So one closing thing I would like to leave with you, Barry, 
is that when we respond to someone having a heart attack, a stroke, or cardiac arrest, our goal is for them to walk out of the hospital and have the same quality of life they did or better uh, before the event occurs. Again, time is muscle. The only way that we can really achieve this is, is from help from the public, right? So may that be reducing your own personal risk factors, uh, learning hands-only CPR, or by recognizing someone's having a medical emergency and calling 911 as quickly as possible. Uh, thank you for having me on today to speak about the importance of American Heart Month. Excellent, Drew. Thanks so much. Thank you for being here. Thanks also to your team, how they help others in the community, and bless your heart. Thanks, Barry. Hey, this is Tim Y., the History Guy, bringing you another episode of Winchester 101. This time, we focus on U.S. presidents who were here in Winchester at some point before, during, or after their time in office in recognition of the upcoming President's Day holiday. Some visits are clearly documented while others may be assumed as possible given the prominence of the Valley Turnpike as a path of travel between places where certain presidents would have traveled. Okay, let's have some fun with this presidential history and presidential speculation. First, we'll begin with the well-documented ones. We know for certain that young George Washington was in Winchester on and off between 1748 and 1758. He began as a young surveyor and then as a captain and later as a colonel during the French and Indian War. Later, he was here in between trips to Williamsburg as one of two representatives to the House of Burgesses representing Winchester and Frederick County. This would all have been before becoming the Revolutionary War General and the nation's first president in 1789. As a side note, one of the physicians tending to him on his deathbed in 1799 was Dr. Craig, who hailed from Winchester. Okay, moving on. Rutherford B. Hayes was in Winchester back in 1864 as a Civil War officer before becoming our 19th president in 1877. William McKinley was in Winchester back in 1864 and 1865 before becoming the 25th president in 1897. He then returned for a visit while president in 1899. McKinley was made a mason in the May of 1865 in the Masonic Lodge that was in a building that once stood just north of where Brubaker's restaurant is, near the north end of the Old Town Mall. Getting off topic slightly, it's worth noting that Winchester native Major Holmes Conrad worked for three U.S. presidents, McKinley, Grover Cleveland, and Theodore Roosevelt, including presidential appointments as Solicitor General and Assistant Attorney General. President Lyndon B. Johnson visited here in 1964 while serving as our 36th president to escort his daughter, Lucy Baines Johnson, for her coronation as Apple Blossom Festival Queen. Johnson flew back to Washington immediately after the ceremony. President Richard M. Nixon and his wife Patricia flew into Winchester on May 4th of 1969 to join a group of U.S. Senators as lunch guests of Senator and Mrs. Harry F. Byrd, Jr. at their house on Tennyson Avenue while serving as our 37th president. The May 5, 1969 edition of the Winchester Star notes that President Nixon's helicopter landed at the Hanley Bowl where he greeted several hundred persons before climbing into a limousine for the short ride to the Byrd home. 
Gerald F. Ford came to Winchester in May of 1975, one year after becoming the 38th president, when his daughter, Susan, was crowned as Apple Blossom Festival Queen. Ford returned to Winchester again in the late 1990s as a speaker for Shenandoah University's Marsh Institute, named for Jack Marsh of Winchester, who served as Secretary of the Army under President Ford. Okay, now let's speculate about some presidents who possibly spent time in Winchester, even if it was just minutes or hours to grab a meal while traveling along the Valley Turnpike. Before becoming our fourth president, James Madison definitely visited several times with his sister, Nellie Conway Madison, and her husband, Major Isaac Height Jr., residing at Bell Grove just south of Middletown in southern Frederick County. The plans for the house were reviewed by Thomas Jefferson, our third president. It's possible that Madison may have traveled down the old wagon road to Winchester during one of his trips to Middletown. We know that Madison visited Harper's Ferry, but we're not sure if he did that on a trip also to Bell Grove. Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president, is rumored to have stopped at the Taylor Hotel in downtown Winchester, either on his way to visit family that lived up the valley in Rockingham County, or while making a trip back to Illinois. Zachary Taylor, our 12th president, took office in 1849. He died in office, and though unlikely, he may have visited his daughter, Lucy Dandridge Taylor, who served as first lady to her father as a substitute for her invalid mother. Lucy lived and died here in Winchester, residing in a now-demolished house over on North Braddock Street. Finally, Woodrow Wilson, our 28th president, may have traveled through Winchester prior to becoming president since it is on the Valley Turnpike between his birthplace in Stanton and New Jersey, where he served as governor just before getting elected as president. Okay, so out of 45 presidents as of February of 2020, we know for sure that six of them were here in Winchester before, during, or after serving as president. Without too much research, there's also reasonable speculation that another four presidents may have at least passed through or stopped overnight in Winchester. That's 10 out of 45. Not bad for a small city the size of Winchester. Well, that's it for me, Tim Y. the History Guy, until the next episode of Winchester 101. And now we slide into Now You Know, the segment where we talk about interesting city of Winchester facts that you may not be aware of and important information you need to know. Since 2020 is a census year, here's some facts that you need to know about this important national survey that's coming up this spring. Counting every person who lives in all 50 states, the District of Columbia, and the five U.S. territories is mandated by the Constitution and must take place every 10 years. So this year is the 24th time that the country has counted its population since 1790. The census provides critical data that lawmakers, business owners, teachers, and many others use to provide daily services, products, and support for the community. Every year, billions of dollars in federal funding go to hospitals, fire departments, schools, roads, and other resources based on census data. The results of the census also determine the number of seats each state will have in the U.S. House of Representatives, and they're also used to draw congressional and state legislative districts. Each home will receive an invitation to respond to a short questionnaire 
online, by phone, or by mail in February or March. Participating in the census is required by law even if you recently completed another survey from the Census Bureau. The census will never ask for your social security number, never ask for money or donations, or anything on behalf of a political party or your bank or credit card account numbers. Your personal information is kept confidential. The Census Bureau is bound by federal law to protect your information, and your data is used only for statistical purposes and cannot be shared with any other government agency or organization. So if you didn't know before, now you know. And let's get you caught up on some upcoming events and activities that are being offered by the City of Winchester and Partners. Save the date for the Rouse City Hall Reveal event. That's coming up February the 26th. The city's going to be celebrating the recent completion of City Hall's renovation and Charles Broadway Rouse's birthday with refreshments and guided tours of the beautiful historic building. The Winchester Police Department is accepting registrations for their teen and adult citizen police academies. The teen academy is going to be held Saturday, March 7th. The adult program begins on March 12th. Visit winchesterpolice.org for more information and to register. Winchester Parks and Recreation is offering several bus trips this month and in March. Sign up now to save your seat for the snow tubing, top golf, D.C. Cherry Blossom Cruise, and New York City bus trips. Visit the special events page on the park's website for details. The annual Old Town Winchester St. Paddy's Celtic Fest returns on March 7th. There's going to be plenty of live music and entertainment at various locations in downtown Winchester. More information will be posted soon on the enjoyotw.com website. Thanks for joining us on our podcast, The Rouse Review. I'm Barry Lee with 92.5 Wink FM. We'll be back on the first Thursday in March at 5 p.m. So long for now.